0: Abba Yahweh, again, to spend time with you, to share with you, to share with anyone that has an ear, to have them hear, but not just the words, listen to the message, listen to your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom, your word, Father God, to seek your face, to seek you from your word, you can be found. You will be found. No matter all these things are gone, Father, around that are happening, you are with us always. So I have a young brother who is in class with me and expressed something the other day about um, feeling the trials and things that are going on. But I've shared with you this word before is that we have to remember that if you are, a jeweler that the finest gold and the finest gold jewelry, the finest silver silver jewelry comes from multiple firings, testings, burnings, forging, whatever, however you want to describe it. But they must be fired in order to get the the good best to come to the top and you can, you pour that out. You take off the dredge, the waste goes, and the finest is left after multiple firings. For the best takes multiple firings. The finest porcelain, you can't just take, um, when I was working with clay and pottery and, years ago, you have what's called greenware. And when you first take the clay that's going to be used and fired and for whatever purpose, um, you have a stage and it's called greenware. And it's just the raw clay, basically you've molded it and now you've set it aside, protecting it before it goes in the furnace. It has to go in the kiln. And the kiln is this very large, hot, hot oven. And you're going to put that greenware in to bake it. And sometimes if there's other things firing in there, that greenware just sets aside and has to wait its turn to go in the furnace. And during that time, you have to protect it. You have to make sure that it's safe because during that time, it's very susceptible to damage, anything. A piece will break off, it can be bent and ruined. Once you fire it, and sometimes depending on what you're doing, and porcelain usually requires multiple firings. You'll take it in and you fire it once and you take it out and then you can add coloring and you can add things to it. And then you put it in for another firing and it has to go back in the oven again. And when you're finished, then you have this beautiful produced vase, dish, plate, whatever you've made, it's beautiful. And you have all the coloring and all the additions. Then the only way really to destroy that is if you take it and you throw it on the floor and then you smash it, it's a lot like glass. But the greenware can be damaged quite readily. But still remember this, it must go in the fire to produce the fine piece of porcelain that you're seeking to produce. It must be fired. The finest silver, it must be fired. You have to melt the silver in order to draw the silver. And when you want the best, you have to fire it multiple times to make sure that you're getting all the dregs, the waste out and the finest gold jewelry. You fire it. It has to go in the fire. It has to be burned. It has to be melted. And then you cast it. No matter all these things, and and I go back, following the rule of faith, I go back to the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. He spoke and prophesied to the nation of Israel specifically in word, direct word was given to him. But here's the thing about the book of Isaiah that I find, Jeremiah as well, Daniel some, but Isaiah, I find our nation is throughout the book of Isaiah. If you read the truth, You read the word and you have your spiritual eyes open and you hear God speaking. You also find Jesus spoken of in here. Now, you have to understand that Isaiah, approximately 700 years before the birth of Christ, Is talking about Christ. Talking about the trials and the tribulations. And talking about what's going on with the nation. But also prophesying their way. Their way out. The Redeemer. The Savior. Christ Jesus. Coming. This is... uh, It's a powerful word and testimony that we can find here. But know this truth, that everything God tells us, directs us, instructs us, guides us to, is in this Bible. If you seek him, diligently seek him, his truth, and you make an effort to do so, he he can be found. Easily done. It is easily done. And yet, the sad part is, is that I have heard many that won't do it, and yet, declare that they don't hear God speaking? Or I haven't heard him. How come he doesn't speak to me? How come you don't listen? How come you don't spend time with him? How come you don't sit and wait on the Lord and you are busy looking at your watch? Well, you know, wow, this is crazy. I gave him five minutes. He didn't show up. That's crazy. If I'm five minutes late, I get docked, or I get yelled at, or my boss this, or my boss that. Excuse me, understand this. You're talking about the sovereign Lord, creator of all things made, maker of all things made, the ancient of days, the great I am, the first and the last, the author, the finisher, Alpha, the Omega, the one that created you, and you are only willing to give five minutes and then complain, because God didn't show up in your time. Well, let me explain something very clearly to you so you understand. You don't have that authority. God is sovereign and it's his timing. Here is a misconception that so many do misunderstand. God's timing in all things. You must be appreciative of the Lord God Almighty is just, is giving you time because he wants. If you make time for God, he will take the time for you and you can't sit there and tap your foot and look at your watch and expect him to keep your time. So let me ask you, let's put it in a different perspective that you might be able to understand a little more readily, perhaps. I don't know why, but if you're working for a company and you have a meeting to go to that is called by the CEO of your company, and you go, of course you would go, you better go, and you sit and the CEO isn't there right at the stroke of 10 a.m. as he said he would, comes in at 10.04, 10.03, 10.02, 10.05, and comes in, is apologetic, I'm sorry I had I had another situation, unforeseen situation. I apologize for my tardiness and then comes in and starts me. Are you going to all start razzing on him or griping because he was late or she was late for the meeting that was called? Or you call a meeting and you invite one of the mucky mucks of the company to show or to come and you tell them what it's gonna be, oh, okay, I'll be there. That's that's good, yes, I would like to be there. And then gripe and complain because they're one, two, three minutes late or perhaps five minutes late. But they're a an executive officer. They have other things to go beside What you call for, that's just the way it works, whether you realize it or not. That because you called a meeting and you happen to be one division of a multi-divisional corporation, they're not gonna drop everything that they have in their calendar to come running for your beck and call. That's just the way it is. But here's the thing about our God. He loves to spend time with you. He likes to spend time with you. And if you make time for him, he will take time for you. But don't be so demanding. This is the Lord God Almighty, ancient of days. First and last, I've I've gone through this. He's He's got a lot of titles, a lot of names that all are... Revolving around his character. But here's the important thing, too. You got to be receptive. If you're busy tapping your foot, looking at your watch, where are you got, where are you got, you know, God, I've been sitting here at my desk for four or five minutes. And when he calls me into his watch, which I'm we are right in the middle of now. And he is right here. When I sit down, that doesn't mean he's not. And most oftentimes than not, he is waiting on us. When we walk into our tomorrow, he's already been there. He knows what's coming. And he is going to guide us and help us through the day. But what I really, really love (laughs) is, yes, Father. I'll be out. Oh. Is when he does like he's doing now. When he makes his presence known. Oh brothers and sisters. There is no doubt. There can be no doubt. There's no room for any doubt. Because it's so overwhelming. I already know and realize that he's here. And that he's with me. (laughs) When I come into his watch. And I'm sharing his word. And I'm sharing with you. Oh, and he touches me or he puts his arms around me. It's an overwhelming sensation that just, it wells up. You can't, sometimes it's hard to describe to you. But brothers and sisters, let's just put it this way. When you you have it happen with you, you'll know. You'll definitely know. There's just, it's so powerful. It's so awesome and it's so great. And to be in that, here's the thing too, that's very important. And in my reading this morning, this was, the Lord pointed this out, is that so oftentimes we are so caught up and things that are going on around us, or what's happening, and the things that we are paying attention to, that when he offers anything to us for us, we are we are hesitant to accept or receive, and we find some reason or an excuse, as you will, for not. And we fall prey or sometimes we just, we allow that white noise interference to get into our our minds and we start thinking about how we don't deserve it. And there are some that come out to spend time with God, and they they can't. They're they're so caught up, and they're undeserving, or as the old language was, said, their undeservedness, and they miss the fact that God is right there. They're so caught up in self, um, sometimes self condemnation, self pity. Um, so caught up in their time, as I expressed earlier, tapping their foot, checking the watch, where's God? He should have been here by now. Why isn't he here? You missed it because he's been there the whole time. You just haven't been focusing on God. You've been focusing on your time and your timing. Remember that watch that God wears? It's got a different time zone than you do. So his time will never match yours until you get rid of that watch. You quit paying attention to the watch. I wear a watch, but for other purposes, when it comes to God, and even when I go to his house, when I go to church and the pastor, somebody gets all apologetic for running over time, you know what I th- I'm i thinking the whole time and saying, well, that's pathetic because truthfully, I do. I, I don't share that directly. I try to, to not do that. But my thought process is that that's pretty pathetic because God's timing is everything. And if God decides that you're going to run a little extra, a little over, maybe he's got some important to say, and he's using you to say it. Why are you apologizing for taking longer than usual? Or why are you... There's no need to apologize. Why are you going to apologize for God's timing? Just a thought. But at the same time, it's just really great. And I just sit there and I enjoy the time. And when you're done, you're done. You have to remember that there are some times that are shared in the Bible where the disciples were out and they were sharing. John went into this one where they were telling John that if he could maybe not talk about God's love this time because what he always talked about was God's love. Always talked about it. John says, yeah, okay, I can, I can do that. So he's preaching. And for about the first two minutes, he talks about something else, but then he goes right back into God's love and continues on and goes for about three hours or more. People were falling asleep. People were going and getting food and coming back. They always, they were always coming back though. They wanted to hear what was being said. They they might've taken a break, but they came back. And this went on for three hours. There's an instance when Paul was teaching and, and um, you had the young man who was sitting in the window, fell asleep fell out, something happened, broke his neck or something, you don't know, but Paul came out and, and threw himself on him and prayed, cried out to the Lord. And they were all, the people were all upset and aghast because this young man had died. But Paul threw himself on the young man, prayed to God, and he was raised. He wasn't dead. But Paul was teaching so long that the young man was sitting and fell asleep in the window and then fell out. And you might say, well, yeah, but things are different. Why? Why are things so different? Because... Now you have to get home to your televised game. You have others coming that you're supposed to be doing a barbecue in the backyard and you're running overtime. Other things matter more. I was laying and I wasn't, uh, quite honestly, I wasn't thinking about getting up. But then i as I lay i said this is this is ridiculous. this is time that i should be with God that I want to be with god that and but now, because I'm moping over here, I want to keep my eyes closed and lay down, pull the blankets up, and i I had to rebuke that spirit because I belong in God's word, sharing God's word, doing God's business, being about my father's business and spending time with God. That's the most important thing. And not about my pulling the blankets up and being all snug and cozy. That was nice. I think my, as as I look over, I see my two, my service companions are just, they're very, they're very comfortable. That's okay. I was too. But more importantly, it's here. It's here that I belong. God gives me that space, and He gives me that time, that gives me that that rest. But He calls to me, and when He calls to join Him in His watch. What a, what a privilege that he calls me in his watch to come and spend time with him during his time. Wow. That, that he would do that. But here's where some of us have a tendency to fall down. Accept that. Be grateful to that of His graciousness that He did that, but there are those that are going to say, "Well, I don't deserve that, and and you know, I didn't, I I don't get have that coming, or or the wait a second. First of all, you have to understand that there is none of that that goes on with God, and what. I found in my reading and, and going to share with you this morning is that we get that false guilt, that that feeling that, that, that we allow to creep in is deception. And remember this, that only blame, condemnation, all that negativity, God doesn't do that. God does not do that. He didn't tell me this morning. He says, "Well, you know, Raven, you're just lying there with the blanks up. I, I'm not going to spend time with you this morning. You don't, you don't deserve my time." Wait a second. He was with me there. That see that that's false. That's not of God, and God doesn't do that. God won't do that. So these. This is that white noise interference thing that I talk about. This is a false sense of reality that comes from only one place, Satan. It comes from one place, his demons. Comes from one place, his minions. They lie, cheat, steal, rob, kill, destroy. That's all they're about. Not about anything good, wholesome, gracious, or kind, or compassionate, nothing. And what they dump out there in their false front, their facade ultimately is wickedness and deception. And that does not come from God. That comes from only one place. And that comes from false evidence appearing real fear. And that is a pseudonym of Satan, Lucifer, the devil, Basilbub, which is they call him the Lord of the fly they they've got he's got a multiple bunch of other names, but they all are leaning into darkness, that false evidence appearing real, he likes you to be misled, misguided, he loves for you, us, me, we. He loves it for us to be misled so that we f- go walking into this, believing it to be all that negativity, that darkness, and oh, woe is me. But it's a lie, it's deception. Everything about the devil is a lie and deception. And you think that these minions that function for him, all that they're going to be, you know, you see all these great things that are going on. Well, you know, why is that happening? Why? Why are you questioning? Because the Bible is very clear about what will happen to these individuals. And I just had it here. I had a marker on it and I was going to share that. And then I decided not to. But see, that is something that I. uh, Hold on a second, please bear with me I'm flipping back to where I had that marker. This is in Isaiah five starting at verse 20. Uh, This has to do with those individuals that we look around and we see and we think are getting away with all this and they have this and they have that, la-da-da-da-da-da-da. Stop it. Isaiah prophesies to the nation. Now he's talking to the nation of Israel. But erase that part. This is the word of God. Woe unto them, that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. What does that mean? That means that, man, I am so smart and I did this and I invested here and I got that, look at me. Look at everything that I got. Look what I'm doing. Look how wealthy I am. Look at all these fancy cars I have. And then sometimes you have these big Southern businessmen. Hey, yeah, y'all know that I had uh, high dealings in the world. And Look how wealthy I am. And look how important I am. And look what I did. And look how I did. Look at, look at, look at me. And then you have other individuals. You got them that, you know, these sports, people that declare themselves things that they're not. And if you pay attention and you watch anything, or they're really not very nice people. They're very mean, nasty, but here's the thing. They're wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. They go out carousing and getting drunk all the time. And specifically, I'm talking about some of these sports folks. Now, you have those that are standing up for their faith and it's becoming more prominent. But there's so many out there. And what do they do? They get off the playing field and nothing like the way they used to do. They go out and they get drunk. They carouse. They argue with people in the restaurant because things aren't going their way or they didn't get what they want when they wanted it. They argue with police officers that have to be called to come and, and quell the near riot that they cause inside of a restaurant, inside of a business because they've shoved the waiter down with a tray full of food and they're hollering at the waitress and she's in tears. And then whenever the bartender or somebody comes to interfere or get them pulled. What then they start throwing fisticuffs. Because they've been plowing down the booze and they get too carried away, and then they're so they're so vaunted in, in their own eyesight that nobody can say anything to them. They even turn on the police officers that have to be called. And that has happened more times often than not. So it is this day. Isaiah's Speaking to the nation of Israel, but brothers and sisters, look around and see what happens. Further reading in, well, I'll read 22 over. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. they make fun of those that have faith and believe that's greater sport to them and i <laughs> i see i saw an advertisement the other day and it's 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 an advertisement by this i've shared with you already this particular company that you need to be careful of and they have images of all these sports folks and these individuals that have, have gone up and become something. And, and some, some of them have are far beyond what they greatly deserve. And then they have the one who led the charge against those that were claiming their faith. And what what was the wording that they had? Um, Oh, and some that that walk into legacy. Well, they try to make it something that was positive, but the legacy that was left by this person was despicable. And the legacy is not anything good because making fun of faithful, making fun of the faithful and, and belittling those that have faith and believe in God. And then ultimately what happened is that this individual is, has no prominence, doesn't have anything that was being declared for herself. But this company is paying for the lie. Further, reading in verse 24, therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble, and the flame consumeth the shaft, so their root shall be as rottenness, and their blossoms shall go up as dust because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One. Now, of course, in this book, it says the Holy One of Israel. But as I said, this is the Old Testament and Isaiah is prophesying in the nation of Israel. But the words of these prophets and this word of God is truth for everyone in all things. And this is exactly what goes on within this nation itself. That they have decided that they deserve all of these things. They deserve all these accolades. We, as true believers, if you are a true believer, not a label head and a self-proclaimed Christian, but a true believer, don't fall into that white noise interference that comes in and try to tell you that you're not deserving of anything. You don't deserve this from God. Wait a second. God desires to richly bless those that love him. What does the scripture tell us about his blessings? That if you love God, you stay and you follow his precepts and the tenets that God establishes, and you love God, he will open the windows of heaven and pour out. He will pour out from his infinite riches and blessings, and that you will not have container to hold it. It will flow out and spill all over you. And he will do that. There's nothing in the scripture when it tells us that, that says, okay, for you that deserve this, I'm gonna do this. The only thing that God asks you to do, and it's no big thing. All he asks you to do is love him. Love others, this precept, the thing that Jesus teaches us. Greatest commandment. Love thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. And then the second is like unto the first. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's probably the hardest but that white noise interference that the enemy comes in and he tries to get you to believe is that you don't deserve to be so blessed. But the Lord wants us to know that that's pretty ridiculous to even fall into that because what does the scripture tell us about that? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the reality of it is that if you want to If you want to hearken to that sort of thing and hear about deserving and receiving because you deserve, none of us deserve anything. You have to remember that he came and died for us as the sacrificial lamb, not because any of us deserved that, it's because he loves us. It is his grace. That he gave us that gift. And all you have to do to receive it is say, I do believe, I will have faith, and Holy Spirit guide my step. That's it. None of us are deserving of anything, but God's grace and his love for us, he gives out and he pours that out to us constantly. And just exactly what it's in the reading this morning, None of us deserve anything. And in the kingdom of heaven, it's not about earning or deserving at all. What it is about is faith, believing, and receiving. Thank you, Father for your grace. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you, Father, for the breath in my lungs. Thank you, Father, for this new day. Thank you, Father, that today is your day and that I am going to be able to go to your house, gather with others of like-mindedness, praise you, worship you, pray to you, Thank you father for this opportunity that you gave me. Do I deserve it? No. But here's the other thing too. I'm not going to stay in that past where there are those that have recited to me things that they're not even they're not even really truthfully aware of because at the time, quite honestly, they weren't old enough but yet are going to have the audacity to remind me or try to tell me that I haven't changed. Well, that's because they don't know me. They don't know God. They've heard about God and that's okay because I'm not gonna get angry about it. It saddens me, but I'm not gonna be all upset about it and dwell on that because you know what? I pray for them and there will be a come a time and it and it doesn't matter to me exactly when and honestly God already knows I would rather have it be sooner than later but that doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't. I pray for them that they're guided in the direction that they need to be going and that's that's enough. That is enough. There, were, there are things in this consequential life that I am living now because I wasn't walking with God as I should have been. And that, it's okay. I'm not going to be griping. I'm not going to be down in the mouth about it. I'm not going to be moping around. Because when I get into God's house, I'm there to praise and worship him. And that's what shows in my countenance. Not the fact that I'm oh woopy dopey. They don't this and they don't that, and woe is me. And oh mo mo mo, as I see so many do. They have the sh- the slumped shoulder. They got their hands shoved in their pockets, and they're they're moping around, and they don't look like they even really want to be there. Quite honestly, they look like they they don't feel like being there, and that's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. I I find it pretty sad. And what does it talk about? The scripture talks about this. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Why do you wear a veil? And and like the Lord points out to, as the hypocrites do when they're fasting, they, they make themselves look like they're miserable. Well, when you're fasting, you're you're praying to God and you're worshiping God and you've given up something for that purpose and you should be glad in all things. So why are you wanting people to come and ask you what you're doing? That's because you're seeking recognition for what you're doing that's supposed to be for God. But you want somebody to come and say, well, you don't look so good. What do you do? Oh, I've been fasting for a couple of days or some. Yeah, I've been fasting for a couple of hours and I'm just really, really hungry right now. Well, la di da da uh, sounds sarcastic. It was intended to, but this is how some people do. They they fast and then want themselves to be looked at and looked upon and have people come to them. And Jesus talked about this. This is don't be as the hypocrites do and make their countenance appear to be in misery when they're fasting. That's not what that's about. And to make yourself look so down and so physically decrepit and you're in the house of God. You know, there's people that have ailments. Brothers and sisters, I can't, I'm not as mobile as I used to be. But you know what? I get in there and I move around and I get to church and I do what I want to do. And what I want to do is praise and worship God. I like the fellowship. I want to be there. I want to be in God's house. And that's my desire. And I enjoy that. I really enjoy that. And I believe, as the scripture reminds me, is that he enjoys the fact that I want to do that. He takes delight in that, as the scripture would say. So why are you going to veil that by, as the scripture talks about, as Moses did, he had to he actually put on a veil to hide the enrichment that God had given to me because his countenance was changed. And and it was actually frightening to some people because Moses was glowing. And you've heard the old saying, perhaps not, if you're a millennial, you probably haven't, but some of the older folks might remember this. Oh, you're just glowing. Are, what's going on? Oh, well, we just found out that went and had my pregnancy test and we're going to have a baby. Oh, everybody's happy, happy, joy, joy. They could tell that something was different because of the countenance of the person that they were talking to. Moses was that way. He was glowing and it frightened people. So he put on a veil that he could see through and all that, but it would kind of hide that so that it didn't frighten them. But it wasn't because he was ashamed of what happened. He was compassionate toward the people, and and that was a permitted thing for him to do. But you have folks that will, as the scripture talks about, being ashamed of the gospel. And the gospel, operative word, is good news. And that goes for the whole Bible. The gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus, it doesn't just talk about the New Testament as being the gospel. There's a lot of people that want to separate that. The word gospel comes from the Latin and it simply means good news, period. It doesn't mean New Testament separated from the Old Testament and now the New Testament is called the gospel. You have the gospel of God the Father, you have gospel of Christ, the only begotten Son, who came from heaven, who came from God, who was with God, who was is God from the beginning and came down here and died for us? Gospel of that. Good news that you sacrifice for us because He loves us so much. But you also have the good news that God is our Heavenly Father and Creator of all things made. There is that gospel. The word gospel, simply good news. That being the case, why are you apologizing for things that are said in the Bible? Why are you apologizing for things that God said? And you're more concerned about someone being offended by your sharing the gospel that comes from the word of God, the infallible truths of God, through his promises. But you're apologetic when you're apologizing for things over and over and over again, that seems like you have some shame issue that you need to deal with. Don't apologize for something that is said in the Bible because if God meant it to be said differently, he would have said it differently. But he didn't. He talks about the army and he talks about the armor of God And he talks about the spiritual warfare that we're in, that he made that armor for us. So why are you going to be apologetic and say, well, you know, I'm sorry for that because that that sounds so militaristic. Well, no, it doesn't at all. I've shared this with you before. The word army just means a big number, a vast number. When Ezekiel was prophesying over the dry bones in the valley, that was the nation of Israel. They had given up all their hope. Pardon me. They had given up hope. <clears throat> Pardon me. They had given up hope. And if you read Ezekiel 37, and you read it to the end, you see that that's done, <clears throat> which is why Ezekiel prophesying to the dry bones. And when it talks about the army rising up, it's not Talking about militaristically, it's talking about just this huge, vast number that all got on their feet and were raised, giving the spirit of the Lord, getting it back into them. And that these, the analogy and metaphor that's used in the valley, brothers and sisters, when we just give up all hope, we just, we're like a heap of dry bones. And that used to be, that used to be an old, old saying. Long time ago, I was really young. Oh, these old bones are just so dried out. I just, I just don't think I have the energy to do that anymore. And it was a saying, a saying of old, just meaning that you don't feel the energy to do it any longer. You don't feel compelled to do it any longer. And as it, was spoken in the book of Ezekiel when he is prophesying to the dry bones to get them back on their feet. Hey, get get with it. Get back to God. Start worshiping God and get your act together because you're all tuckered out. You're all tired out. God wants you to be on your feet again and get with it. The vision of dry bones. Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out into the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and you'll bring upon flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, i just going to take a second here to point out that's an instructional scripture right there. So again, just to reemphasize, this is a book of instruction. Further, verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And behold, they say, Our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. That's important, right there. That's important because they decided that their hope was gone. They made the decision, just like when they went into the valley and you had the two spies. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. So they convinced the rest of the people to give up hope because the Lord God Almighty, his sovereignty was not enough. They usurped that authority and they took that from God and said, you know, we're so small, they're gonna squash us like grasshoppers Because we see ourselves that way. And God who promised that all this would be delivered. We don't have enough faith in that to happen. And God isn't big enough for these. These are giants. Of course, we don't know who they are yet. But we know that they're related to Goliath somehow. And so they convinced the people. And what had happened? They wandered for 40 years. However, God was still there. He provided the cloud of smoke, so that they could see by day, and the pillar of fire by night, that they saw and knew that God was still with them. Their clothing didn't, nothing happened to their clothing. Their shoes didn't require mending, nothing. God fed them, he nourished them, he provided for them, and water and sustenance. Were they deserving of that? No. But they weren't deserving of the promised land that God told them either because they convinced everyone that they shouldn't go in there. They convinced the rest of the people that God was not big enough for the giants. But no one understand this, brothers and sisters, and this is reality is that we create giants of our own, and we push up the molehills into mountains, and we declare them to be. So that faith that's talked about that Jesus tells us about not that God can't do it, if it's righteous and we tell a mountain, a physical, actual mountain to be cast into the sea if it's in righteousness and in God's will to do so, and that we did that, made that command in faith believing, and he'll do it. But I firmly believe that these mountains and the giants and these things that that we're being taught about are what we push up and we declare to be something that they are not. We see something that is not a mountain, It's an obstacle and we can't get by it, over, around it, through it. But in our faith, we can do so. And those giants are these little troubles and things that we have that are going on and we push them up into being something that they're not. So, brothers and sisters, faith, belief, not that we deserve it because we definitely don't, we don't deserve, but God gives because he loves us. And understand this, that when we hesitate and we're unsure of, of God giving this gift to us and he's attempting to get us to give it and we're unsure because, oh, I don't deserve that. Should I do I what I, I ought to It actually causes our Heavenly Father to grieve. And remember this, this is coming from the Word of God. All the emotions that we have, everything that we have in us, joy, happiness, grief, all of those things that are in our lives, they're there because God gave them to us. They come from Him. And although we need to practice more of his love, the agape love, the unconditional love that we're taught about, we have a tendency not to do so. And brothers and sisters, that's what we need to do. And remember that it all comes from God. God takes great delight in giving to us. And it makes him happy. You know, like I, when. Yeah, look at this. When your earthly parents or adults give their kids something really good for their birthday or really good for Christmas and you see the light in their eyes just, it's like the high beams on your car. All of a sudden, everything is just all lit up and they're so happy, delighted, and giddy that the whole room seems to be aglow. When God gives us that, it... Gives him great delight. Just accept it. Say, thank you, Father. It isn't whether you deserve it because it's all by his grace. Did you deserve salvation? No. But he gave it to you anyway. Did I deserve it when he saw me from out there and when he was hanging on the cross and looked down and saw me in the midst of that crowd of the Pharisees and the unbelievers that were... hollering up and in that moment before he gave up his spirit, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The greatest gift that he could possibly imaginably give that anyone could even fathom or try to, that he gave that for me, that he came for me. He saw me from way out there and he came and did that for me anyway. Thank you, Father. Abba Yahweh Aman. Praiseworthy is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers daily, going out and coming in. Be blessed.